Gentile need to be like a Jew in order to be a Christian. In the middle of the first century, this was possibly the most important moral question the church faced. And it was a crucial moral question because it is a profoundly theological question. God made promises to Abraham and Abraham's heirs, and Gentiles are not natural heirs. So how do God's promises apply? Paul needed to deal with questions about the law in such a way that he affirmed the foundational gospel claim that human righteousness is the result of divine action, not human obedience. Beverly Gaventa, a scholar and professor at Princeton Theological Seminary, notes in her commentary on this passage that Paul manages to offend pretty much everyone here. <laughs> Beginning with the words, you foolish Galatians who has bewitched you, um, certainly sets a tone. But Paul's central message is one that we all need to hear over and over because it is a countercultural message and it is one that makes the church where Christian community is developed and nurtured different. 
from what we find in the world. And although we are not struggling daily with the relationship to the law and to the gospel, exactly in the same way that the early church was, at its heart, Paul's message is incredibly relevant to the well-being and perhaps even to the survival of the church today. Some of us will struggle with different parts of the message here. For example, some of us may bristle at what it feels like the seemingly simplistic dismissal of all of our identity differences and distinctions. There is no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, for we are all one in Christ. But identity distinctions are very real and present in our lives. Our gender identity, cultural affiliation, race, age, sexual orientation, access to economic resources are relevant to our lives and how we live. They are even relevant to our survival. However, in a recent reflection on Paul's ministry, Richard Rohr framed his words this way. He writes, one of the reasons Paul's teaching had so much influence in Asia Minor was that he restored human dignity at a time when perhaps four out of five people were slaves. Women were considered the property of men. Temple prostitution was a form of worship. And oppression and wholesale injustice toward the poor and the outsider were the universal norm. Into this corrupt and corrupting empire, Paul shouts, one and the same spirit was given to us all to drink. Paul levels the playing field. You, all of you, are sons and daughters of God, now clothed in Christ, where there is no distinction between male or female, Greek or Jew, slave or free, but all of you are one in Christ. This is quite amazing, considering the culture at the time. I would say this is also quite amazing, considering our culture at this time. The restoration of human dignity. We are all sons and daughters of God, most fundamentally. And our, our identity begins and ends in our belonging to Christ, following Christ, and learning from and emulating Christ. If we've been coming to church for a long time, when we hear Paul talking about the law and grace, some of us want to tune it out a bit, maybe. Like, we know, we know. <laughs> but I think that if we really knew how accustomed we are at relying on the law, on our own judgment of righteousness, and how this self-reliance actually competes with and impairs our ability to believe to trust, and therefore to live and act in faith, the church would avoid many, if not most, of the problems we face today. Paul is calling the church out of a spiritual adolescence. To be an adult child of God is to emulate Christ, to be faithful, authentic, relational human beings. Paul says that the law was there for the people of God before Jesus came so that they could know right from wrong, so that they could be disciplined and taught how to behave 
to be ready to receive Christ. The law is diagnostic. It can bring light to transgressions. It can give rules and guidelines to follow, but it cannot make us love God. It cannot make us love our neighbor as ourselves. It does not save us, and it will not transform us. However, without vigilance, the law can certainly lure us into thinking that we can actually be okay if we do all of the right things. We can fall into the belief that our righteousness is due to our own ability to be obedient, rather than because of God's divine action on our behalf. In this way, the law promotes autonomy and self-reliance that is appealing in our cultural context, but that is actually antithetical to building community, to leaning into relationship, to interdependence, to relying on God, and to receiving grace. Belief, not obedience of the law, is what makes us heirs to the promise. And belief requires faith, and stepping out into faith requires risk. We cannot manage that kind of risk alone. We need to know that if we step out into faith, we will be supported. Being religious actually calls on us to increase our dependence, not to grow away from it and to willfully become more independent. Leaning into dependence requires that we can trust. Pastoral theologian Ann Yulinov talks about how religion moves us toward deeper dependence when she writes, religion urges us to recognize our dependence as creatures on a creator as our true state. Religion puts dependence right at the center of authentic living. Without reaching this radical dependence, we conduct a spiritual life in the company of God, but are never pierced by a living encounter with the divine. For we do not grow out of this dependence. Spiritual life consists rather in our deepening it. Belief is not something we can reason ourselves into. It requires risk, and risking faith requires trusting God and the support of spiritual community with whom we are growing in the faith. As I guess you all know now, this is my family's last Sunday at this church. My own children have been raised in this church since they were infants. They are now four years old. And since they've been old enough to speak, from time to time, I check in with them about their experience of church. I ask them, what is your favorite part of church? And without hesitation, without exception, and enthusiastically, my children look at me and with a light in their eyes exclaim, Thomas! <laughs> Thomas is the best part of church. This answer actually delights me because I know that they're getting it. The best part of church is the relational part of church. And I watch my children in church, and I believe that they love 
the beautiful music, and the physical beauty of the campus, and the light that shines through the stained glass in the sanctuary. I even think they like the ritual of the liturgy, but Thomas is the best part of church for them. <laughs> Thomas Randalls has been working in the nursery here since they were infants. He has built a relationship with each one of them in which they grow and thrive. I know that Thomas embodies for them the qualities of mature Christian community that allow them to risk growth. He lets them be children and responds to them as a caring adult who is invested in their lives and well-being. They know he is trustworthy. They see him week after week and literally let Thomas throw them high up into the air above the concrete of the patio. <laughs> they absolutely trust that he will catch them every time. And he does. <laughs> Although they can't put it into words, I know that they also trust that every week he will come back and be the same kind, funny, engaged guy who lights up when he sees them. He is reliable. They can trust that he will consistently expect appropriate behavior from them and also from the children around them. He is flexible. And he sees them for the individuals that they are. Thomas just said to me last week that he is really seeing how the boys' personalities are diverging from one another. And he went on to describe what he saw in them. As I listened to Thomas talk about how the boys are changing and growing, I heard someone who is able and willing to see others as different and valuable. And I thought about how my boys also trust that Thomas is not just nice to them when he is with them, and then critical of him, them when they are not around. He is kind with his words when he talks about them to one another, to another, to their mother. How he talked about them to me was another reason they could trust him. I know Thomas grew up in this church, so to those of you that were spiritual community informing him, I thank you. In their relationship with Thomas, my children have found the best that Christian community has to offer, and I will be forever grateful. Of course they want to come to church to see Thomas, and it breaks my heart that as we leave this church, they will no longer see Thomas every Sunday. But as we go out into the world and look for another church, I trust that we will find others who love and care for them in this way. But it's not exactly accurate to say that we'll be looking for a new church. Actually, what we'll be looking for is a Christian community characterized by the kind of qualities that my boys find in their relationship with Thomas. Church and mature Christian community are not always necessarily synonymous. Coming to church does not make us a Christian community. Our behavior to one another does. Christian community at its best creates a web of reliable relationships made by people who can trust one another enough to risk growth in faith. Without the kind of spiritual maturity that Paul is calling for in Christian community, why would people come to church? 
Why would people come to a place that offers the same thing that the world has to offer? That is what the church has to offer the world, a community clothed in Christ, where faith can be risked because the relationships are faithful, trustworthy, and reliable. And this is not to say perfect. God does not call us to be perfect. God calls us to be faithful. Over the past number of years, maybe 10, maybe more, there's been a lot of worrying, a lot of articles written about why young adults and millennials, young families are not joining churches. So much time and energy is being given to try to address this problem. But I think too often, when young people come to a church, they're not finding the kind of counter-cultural graciousness, but too often finding a copy of what they already know and experience in the world. A group of people coming together with good intentions, but not living into the graciousness that is offered, clinging to our self-reliance, and privileging our own judgment, and perhaps falling into the trap of believing that perfect human behavior makes us righteous, silently or vocally judging others by our own standards of how we should act or dress or parent our children or more. The law or grace, we have to choose how we're gonna to live together. A beautiful church campus, brilliant curriculum for Christian education, a charismatic pastor, stimulating adult education, these are all benefits of having a church facility, a platform, a platform and resources that are attractive and may draw people who are seeking to a church. But none of these are the reasons that people will stay at the church and invest their lives in a church. To create a web of relationships in which the people on the cusp of adulthood or young parents will come to worship is solidly the work of the people. It is the work of all those who are clothed in Christ, and it takes everyone, because community requires involvement. It requires that we be interdependent, that we act on the behalf of others even when we don't see the immediate benefit for ourselves, and it requires that we can trust others to do the same for us. It means being flexible, and respectful to people at all different levels of physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual maturity. Young people don't only want what Christian community has to offer, they are hungry, even desperate for it. People seek to be around others who are embodying what they want to embody. When the youth of this church soon head out into the world, we know that, at least in this country, they will be able to find a church wherever they happen to land. But we, the people who love them, do not want them joining a church where they do not feel and experience relationships that are trustworthy, flexible, and characterized by graciousness. Christian community that is trustworthy, steadfast, and growing in maturity is also a community that can reach out and share Christ's love in the world. It has been a blessing in my own life to be in community with the youth 
here at CPC, who have the energy, commitment, and integrity to reach both into this community and beyond it to serve others. For example, you may not know yet that Maya Aga recently attended her first session meeting as our youth elder. Her contribution was fantastic. She was engaged and caring, and she's learning in this place how to speak truth to power. Sophia Jung started her own group that demonstrates thought and care for the dignity of those in her high school community. Every time I hear her talk about her group, I think about the compassion she is living out and how she cares about safeguarding the human dignity of the people at her school who are more vulnerable due to economic disadvantage or their special needs. If I had unlimited time, I could go on and on and on. Our youth are going to Peru this summer to help in the community there. Their commitment to serving is beyond the borders of this church and of this country. So as we send them out there into the world, we want them to find Christian community that will nurture them and care for them as they continue to care for others. We want them to find people who through their identity in Christ are committed to giving one another a place to grow, withholding judgment and not expecting perfection so that they may risk themselves as they grow in faith. If we, in all our imperfections and limitedness, want this for our own beloved children, how much more does God, our perfect parent, want this for all of us? For in Christ, we are all children of God through faith. And the good news is that our God is a God that does not expect perfection, that God is gracious toward us, forgives us, finds the best in what we do, and builds on it. God is steadfast in God's love, trustworthy, and through God's own graciousness, gives us more opportunities to learn and grow, to fail, and to try again. To be the Christians God calls us to be, and to build Christian community within local churches, because as we build it, they will come. As my family and I leave this place, it is the relationships with the people who have been Christian community to us that we will miss. Although my sweet and loving boys will no longer see Thomas every Sunday, we are so thankful that at this church, they learned from their infancy that the relational part of church is the best part of church. We will continue to pray for this community as you continue on your journey together. May you also find and nurture those who in searching for mature Christian community find you. And may God bless you as together you strive to live faithfully and graciously, loving God and loving one another. Amen.